Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Gashana the Immolator. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Omid Zarkhan, the Mage. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Rao, the Battlemaster. My name's JD. I'm the Dungeon Master for this game. This is ChimeraCast, a Dungeon World actual play podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChimeraCast. We are starting a new series of Dungeon World. This will be called the Dimension of Ypsilanti, the Tectomancer. More on what that means later. Uh, If you have not listened to our Dragon's Den roundtable discussion, which came out last week, a little inside baseball for you. We have already recorded this character introduction and question and answer session And it was unfortunately corrupted. So we are re-recording this um, to try and convey that information again. So while normally this would have been a a straightforward Q&A where we introduced our characters and I asked some questions that kind of set up the game going forward, this is going to be a little different than that, um, obviously because we already answered these and we've already played the first couple of sessions of this game, but we just need to catch everybody up with where that's going to, to be at and where that's going to go. So I'm going to go through the, the characters. We're going to introduce them much in the same way that we did, and then I'm going to go through the questions that I asked and the answers um, that were given. So we're not going to try to pretend to re-answer them we're not gonna like act out what you know our natural responses were to these things Um, but we're gonna keep the conversation going um, and kind of explain uh, where we're at why we answered the way that we did or whatever um, if we feel like we need to flesh that out a little bit more other than just the the notes that I have written um, that I used to move forward with the game Let's jump into character uh, explanations. Um, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and introduce Gashana to us? Yeah, Gashana is uh, an elven princess whose people, it was established in a previous game, were enslaved by a city-state known as Jataka. They're sort of used as like exotic members of the court and also as auxiliary forces in the Jatakan military. And Gishana was given her freedom by uh, one of Nathan's characters, actually. So now where she's at is she has sort of delved into the history of the elves and discovered a one of the elven gods, Karia Khan, who is the elven god of awakening and consuming, that she manifests her belief in it through her abilities as an emulator. She is searching for a way to awaken the elves who she views as sort of like a fallen population to their previous glory, but also like the potential to carve out a space for themselves in the world as it currently is. The physical description, she has perfect skin, warm eyes, and her voice is roaring. I think that's pretty much it. The, uh, the only other note that I had was that you wore robes and that you 
had tied fetishes braided into your hair. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, I think that's good for Kashana. Zach, why don't you introduce Omid Zarkhan? So I'm playing Omid Zarkhan, the mage. As far as physical descriptions go, uh, I have lightly tanned skin that seems to have an ashen-like quality. Worn robes. I imagine he just wears all black robes that are kind of tightly bound around him. I have underlined here a, a creepy body and a thin body. He is a, a thinner man, you know, maybe even almost sickly looking. Uh, as far as the mage aspect to him goes, he is of the Twilight Order. Under look, he has a giant splotched bruise that covers his chest from where the Shah actually buried a piece of meteorite into his body. His power actually comes from this meteorite that is almost like a cancerous and or um, symbiotic thing that is taking over his body slowly. He is allowed to access certain powers through it, but uh, it is not without its drawbacks. Just to give you an idea, his aligned elements are Dance with Shadows, Insight, Terror, and Panic, and Shroud the Truth. His opposed fire and light and being loud or obvious that should give you a key into how he taps into his magic as far as a little bit of background goes omid zarkhan comes from a what might be seen as analogous to our common day like very upper middle class his family his father specifically was a captain in the shah's army who had retired to a bountiful farm where he basically became a, a crop farmer. And Omid was drafted into the Shah's service and seen as someone who had a particular acuity for certain magical arts and was basically, I think we had talked about it as him being enrolled into like the black ops. He he became someone who the Shah saw as a an instrument of brutal force and interrogation and therefore he was selected to be a person who would have this procedure this this meteorite placed inside of him uh, to grow his magical abilities he ended up running away basically from the empire what triggered that was uh the one of the one of the people that had been training him a moon uh, he saw him as the meteorite stone overtook his body it was an experience that is very singular and very horrifying as he saw that what actually happened when the when this stone when this piece of this extraterrestrial thing overtook a human body was that it wiped away everything and while omid was willing to give so much for his country for his shah I think being wiped out completely, erased, was the breaking point for him that made him realize he needed to leave. JD, is there is there anything else that you need to add? Um, yeah, the only other thing... Well, no, I actually think that's going to be good for now. Okay, cool. Nathan, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Rao? Hi, uh, so yeah, as I'm, I'm playing Rao. He has wise eyes, cropped hair... Military garb, which I'll I'll describe a little bit in in a second, and um, a I suppose battle scarred body. The way I imagine Rao is him very dark 
skinned. He, they, uh, people from the desert, I think, that he spent a lot of time in the sun. His clothing, I imagine, as a, a sort of leather that comes up over his face to block out some of the dust. Similarly, he's wearing some goggles. I realized while I was thinking about how to describe him that I was thinking of Vash the Stampede from Trigun, for those who've seen it. His head is shaved, I imagine. Again, there are bugs in the desert that would nest in his hair. The point here being is that he's very utilitarian in a lot of ways. Rao is part of a nomadic tribe in the Fayar Desert that we've had pop up time and again in games outside of the podcast whom I've named the Erex. They are opportunistic fighters. Specifically, they embody a trapdoor spider in the way that they battle people. They dig holes and wait for them to come across and then jump out and ambush them. And subsequently, I've chosen his default tactic to be reactive. He is aligned good, which is endanger yourself to make a plan succeed. And so I imagine him a very a very good soldier in this tribe. Rao's people were eradicated by the Empire when the Empire attempted to invade the Fayar Desert. They were beaten back repeatedly by these guerrilla forces of which Rao was a part. And so the Shah, in his frustration, ordered the entire place essentially nuked. And so he brought in some mages who turned the entire desert into black glass an increasing wave as it goes down so there's now a giant glass mountain at the far end of the desert Rao was lucky enough I suppose if you want to use that word to be at the epicenter of the blast and so he was saved but many of his people were solidified at varying degrees some of his people were were entombed completely those farther down the wave, but those earlier on were stuck from the ankle down, waist down, neck down. And so now Rao seeks a weapon that he thinks can combat the Shah, Him, his people being not unmagical, but certainly not magical in the ways that the Shah and the Empire are. JD, is there anything that I forgot to mention? Anything I'm not putting the focus on I did before? I think that's about it. Other than the the fact that you were you were close um, to the epicenter because you were actually leading like a team to try and stop it, yeah. To the, to that end, Rao was not alone in attempting to stop this insurgency force, but I think he was among the few who were able to get away. Cool. Um, that pretty much uh, I think covers all of that. I think the last thing um, before we move on real quick. Uh, everybody else has kind of mentioned what their goal is. I know that Gashana, you're you listed your goal in trying to get to uh, Ypsilanti's manse was to reawaken the fires of hope in your people. You had mentioned that kind of like raise them back up. Rao, you had mentioned that you're looking for a weapon, a way to fight back against the the magic of the empire. Omid, what was your uh, or what is your goal in trying to seek out Ypsilanti? My goal in trying to seek out Ypsilanti is greater understanding. This magic, this greater force that had been pushed into me quite literally was a very narrow understanding of, of the greater arcane arts. I had read at a certain point some of 
Ypsilanti's works and found them to be quite enthralling and and expansive. And I think that Omid thinks that there might be answers that Ypsilanti can provide for him, if not just a greater knowledge of magic, maybe maybe something in the way of showing the balance of magic, not that it is used just for torture and 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 horrible acts of inhumanity, but that it is it it can be, uh, for lack of a better term, almost almost fanciful that it is a part of life that it has the same balance. Cool. I think that's good. Why don't we go ahead and move on to uh, flags, starting with Gashana again. So Gashana's flags, um, the first one is tell me something you're passionate about and let me nurture it. And the other one is ask me to listen to your sins or confessions so that I may feed them to the fire. Cool. For Omid, I have discouraged me from using my magic on an unarmed or helpless person and draw out information about what I will do after our mission is complete. And for Ral, I have get into a dangerous situation that I can protect you from and challenge my leadership if I make a decision that goes poorly. Perfect. Uh, let's hit bonds between the three of you. So Gashana's bonds are, I will teach Omid the true meaning of sacrifice. And with Rao, it's I understand Rao's pain because my people were also taken over by an outside force. Fantastic. My bonds are Gashana's magic is loud and ineffectual. <laughs> and Rao knows the secret to my powers. This is all wonderful because we've actually played with these characters a little bit and found out how the bonds are true. Uh... <laughs> My my mine are Gashana has a lot to learn about the ways of battle, <laughs> and I can always depend on Omid to follow my stratagems. I think Omid is a very good soldier, or at least uh, somebody who was ra- he went he went to boot uh, camp, an academy, a military academy. Thank you, Ryan. Cool. That's good for that. I'm gonna transfer over to explaining the questions that I asked. And then um, I'm going to talk about the answers that you all gave to me for those questions. Feel free at any time to expand on those or explain things a little bit more, flesh things out. Obviously, I was just taking notes as we were going, so I'm not going to have all the details necessarily. Feel free to expand on what I have written down for them. So the first question I asked uh, was to Omid. I said, the Shah keeps ethereal chains on his servants. Describe the terrible ritual you endured to sever this chain. What did it cost you? What lasting scar, mark, or effect did it leave you with? And you had answered that the Shah takes out to the heart of at least like the the black ops mages, if not all of them, and replaces it with a new one. Omid, you said that you had had to tear this heart out and replace it with another. It says you have like a large torn scar from this in your chest. Yep, that seems 100% right. I think it also maybe said that you had like replaced this heart with another that you had to like take from somebody else or like convince them to give you their heart. I don't exactly remember how that went down. So if you want to expand on that, that would be cool. I believe in my travels after a, a certain period of time, I had hit a village and I had found the local, you know, sorceress or enchanter and told them what they must do. 
I'm not exactly sh- where did I get that other beating heart from? That's what I was trying to remember. Good news, you can probably make it up right now. I know. Yeah, That's it up. hasn't come up in the game yet, so you can definitely just make it up. Where did I get that beating heart from? While this was unsavory and Omid knew it was bad, he was forced to take the heart from just some scum of the earth, just some person that seemed to be using theirs poorly. And so he ripped their heart. He 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 had to freshly kill someone off the street, some drunkard in this small town, and take it to this sorcerer who was able to perform the procedure. Perfect. I think that's good. The second question I asked was to Rao. Rao, in the battle against the Shah's forces, you lost someone or something very important to you. What was their or its name, and why were they or why was it important? You had explained that certain members of your people are soul-bound to these desert spiders and that you had lost your soul-bound spider in that fight whose name was Beak. And this is something that you... I I think I had asked a follow-up, which is like, what of theirs do you carry with you now? And in this case, uh, you called it your death burden, which is that uh, Beak had been caught in the glass but did not die. And so you had to kill Beak to end their suffering and you still carry the blade that you killed them with. Uh, yeah, the the death burden is something that we've brought up in games outside of the cast. It is traditionally uh, a human, a member of your tribe. I don't think it's traditionally with spiders. We have an example separate of this one that involves spiders. So I think that members of the Eric's getting very emotionally attached to their soul-bound spiders, and I realize that something being soulbound implies an emotional attachment, but I, th- I think that there is a loneliness, a coupling implied here. I don't think this is uncommon necessarily, but I, th- I think that it is not the usual interpretation of this death rite. And specifically, the death burden is a rite enacted when a person close to you dies in your care. Zach, am I interpreting this correctly? I, I This is part in your baby and I, I, I don't I want to give it justice yeah I think 100% the the biggest thing that I had noticed in this when I was creating it was that the the person that you took on their death burden usually was family that was the the main way the main vehicle for it was that you were to carry your family over into the next life to fulfill an aspect uh, that they needed other than that yeah we had, we had transgressed into this kind of otherworldliness with creatures and things like that a character of mine had taken on a death burden of uh, something much larger than he was. So, yeah, no, I think I think you're you're on point with what you're saying. Exactly. So this is a a perversion of that right taking not Beak's body, but the method, the instrument used to kill it. This is as as close as Rao could get. I think as the glass inhibits a thing from leaving its grasp, I think it also overtakes the body eventually. And that is why Rao had to end its life, end Beak's life. And that is why he carries the blade now, is because carrying Beak's body was not an option. Great. Next. Gashana, in your parents' time, Ypsilanti studied at the library kept within your secret city. How did Ypsilanti earn the trust of your people, and what relic was he given as a reminder of this from your people? You had said that Ypsilanti built a prison which trapped an evil vampiric hyena sort of creature that elves 
accidentally created long ago, which was designed to quell the rise of humans and then had escaped. Ypsilanti was given uh, an ancient telepathic elvish crown, um, which is designed to interlink the disparate elvish families that had uh, scattered across the world after the rise of humans. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it that I can remember about that. Sweet. Omid, if your petition to serve Ypsilanti is unsuccessful, you have heard rumors of another magician. Who are they? How did you hear about them? You would explain that you had heard of Ovid of Ordo Tempus, and you heard about them because Ypsilanti essentially was throwing shade in Ypsilanti's philosophical writings. So they were rivals, philosophical rivals, as these powerful wizards, where they referenced each other's work and you had caught wind of Ovid, this um, this powerful wizard focused on time. I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a digression here, um, and then I can come back to you, Zach, if you had anything else to add about this. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Ypsilanti. So I introduced Ypsilanti uh, as the creator of Silic, my um, golem mage in Nathan's game. Ypsilanti is a powerful wizard who is what he himself calls a tectomancer. Um, this is somebody who is interested in architecture. Um, it has that same root word, uh, texture, but um, form in general, forms, dimensions, the the nature of physical reality. Ypsilanti is a type of wizard that uh, I consider like a sorcerer philosopher. To me, there are two essential major uh, schools or, or focuses of magic, which is reflected in kind of modern scientific thinking where there is applied science. And in this case, there's applied magic. This would be your casters of fireballs. This is most of the kind of wizards that we follow around on their adventures. Magic users who are directly manipulating the world in order to accomplish something that sort of applied magic. And then there's this other major field, which is essentially theoretical magic, which are the the philosophers, the people who see no difference in trying to understand what it means to be alive or what it means to be human and how to manipulate reality. And they see magic as an extension of their philosophical thought. So Ypsilanti is, is one of these who focuses on understanding forms. And so his magic focuses on the manipulation of form and understanding um, sort of shapes or physical reality. So Ovid stood as a rival of him as somebody who focused on time, the, the manipulation of time, the understanding of time. And so basically it falls into that philosophical you know, school of like, oh, the thing that I'm focusing on is the most important. How dare my foolish colleague spend so much time driveling over useless blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's that sort of professional, you could consider it an academic rivalry. Zach slash Omid, did you have anything that you wanted to add to this? I don't think so particularly. Great. Sounds good. So yeah, that basically does set up what this game is going to be about a little bit. My next question was to Rao. Before your defeat in that last battle, your spies had brought you word of an ambitious general from the Isle of Than. What about her strategies and tactics made you take notice of her? And what weakness of those strategies would you have exploited had you been in battle against her? 
you had explained that Thanite soldiers had mastered gliders, which were these sort of winged contraptions that they would use for aerial assaults, whether they were jumping off of high cliffs in order to glide down and attack, or whether they were being catapulted out of these like kind of massive uh, siege catapults that would launch their soldiers into the air. You said that, however, this basically leaves their back line open. They don't spend a lot of time on defense. They spend uh, a lot on essentially making very rapid advances using these aerial attacks. And so um, you would have exploited uh, trying to basically draw them in and then attacking from the rear. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add to that? Not particularly. I do want to emphasize that this imagery is dope. But aside from that, I, I don't have anything I want to say. I, yeah. Yeah, cool. I do absolutely love it. <laughs> Gashana, I then asked you, while meditating at the fire, you were shown a gray vision of a desolate and strange city. What about it sent ice through your veins? You had said that there was life there, but it was like a shadowy form of life that did not have the usual fire of life burning within them that you are used to. They seem to be stopped in the middle of something whatever they were doing and and not not moving around or reacting so they didn't have any sort of passion or drive within them and you're so used to your your god burning in within people this awakening and consuming fire anything to add no i think that about sums it up great moving along at a clip here rao i had asked you what is something about gashana as an elf that you find disturbing. You said that elves in the desert were essentially wild animals. They were present, but totally feral. They seemed to be completely lost to their animalistic nature. But then Gashana was idyllic and almost too human, this sort of perfect goddess walking on land. Anything you wanted to expand on? I want to put an emphasis on the the racism of this. I... I think that the interactions that the Eriks had with the elves was purely antagonistic. And so I think that if it's on the off chance that it's not obvious, Rao's perception of the elves in the desert is very stilted. And so to run into Gashana as she is, is very jarring simultaneously that she is both very beautiful, but also very welcoming and very very approachable as a person. I think that Rao's interactions with Gishana have shaken his perception of what elves are. Yeah, that's fantastic. Next, I had asked Gishana, what is something that Omid does that you find distasteful? And you had said that Omid interacts with others at a seemingly cold distance with no care for who Omid is addressing particularly focusing on Omid's shark-like eyes. Yeah, no, I, that that sounds right. Omid, I had asked, what about Rao did you first notice or take notice of that endeared you to Rao? And you had said that it was his smell. So it was um, pungent, like a, like a damp earth or sweat smell, which to you just seemed very alive, very human, and it sort of drew you out of the coldness that you were used to. I think you had like a whole poem written about it or something, but I didn't write <laughs> any of it down. Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to, to expand on that then? 
No, I think I think you got it very much. I remember some analogy about like when you're very very dirty after a long hard outdoor day's work and getting into a hot bath and smelling that coming off of your skin. But yes, no, it was all flavor. <laughs> I think it was a little more erotic than you're making it sound. What can I say? I'm trying my hand at it. But yes, for now, we'll keep it <laughs> nice and removed. Cool. Next, I threw this out to the group. Um, something has prevented the Namorian city-states from conquering the lush and fertile riverlands within which the dimension of Ypsilanti lies. What is that thing preventing it? You all had responded that it was a tribe of wild humans who make sacrifices through combat to the river spirit that dwells within the riverlands. And what makes them so dangerous is that they can travel through the river almost instantly through some sort of magic, thus keeping the city-states from actually being able to conquer this region. Did you guys have anything that you wanted to add to that? Fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll get there. <laughs> all right, then the uh, the last question that I had had for you all was uh, a magical key of some sort is required to enter the domain of Ypsilanti's dimension. What form does it take and who or what possesses it? And then where is the possessor and how did you learn this information? You had said that the form of the key is a book that also is supposed to act as some sort of flute. The possessor was a, a book collector, a sort of uh, adept who collected knowledge and therefore um, had come into possession of this, of this book. It was kept on a stormy, rocky island in a kind of lighthouse that this collector lived in. And you had found out about it based on a puzzle in another one of um, Ypsilanti's work. So something that Ypsilanti, a building that Ypsilanti had made that had a puzzle in it that led you to understand that you needed this key uh, in your pursuit of, of, of the wizard. Is there anything you guys wanted to add on to that? Fuck that guy too. <laughs> but no, not really. Nah, I don't have anything to add. Nah, I think that's about what we set up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think the only last point was that before kicking this off, we had established that uh, you had already spoken with this book collector attempting to purchase or somehow otherwise legitimately acquire the book and you had been turned down as they are a reclusive book collector. And that was where we were going to pick up with the start of the first session. So that's about it. That is maybe not the most exciting way to go through uh, character creation and Q&A um, since we had already done it. But hopefully it's a succinct way to get everybody up to speed. This will replace our introduction. And then we will kick things off with the first actual in-play session. Yeah. Was that it? Did we have anything else that we needed to cover? Nothing that comes to mind, no. I think uh, I do want to say thanks, everybody listening, for being patient with us on this. I, as, as JD pointed out, this may not be the most exciting way to do this, but... We wanted it to be as true to the original thing that we did as we the original thing as we possibly could do. And this was the best way we could think to do it. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think, you know, 
we want to get it out there. I want you to feel that you're coming to the story on the right foot and that we're not missing anything. So yeah, we apologize for maybe, I know we can be a little bit more energetic when we're like, oh, I've got this idea, but uh, that will be coming here soon. This is just setting up the world and doing exactly the kind of foundational work we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. When JD kills us all in the, oh no. Oh no, I spoiled it. (laughs) (laughs) Now when it happens. (laughs) Seriously, fuck those water guys. Yeah, you'll see. Yeah. Let's pretend that we're about to roll some dice and let's get this game started, you guys. Yeah, cool, exciting. Y- yay. Uh, th- thanks for listening. All right, I'm going to I'm going to raise you 9. <laughs> God damn it.